trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Hey, this is a place for the freedom curious as well as those who are just hardcore wrong thinkers. In fact, I want to welcome my friend Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com joining us to commiserate on this election day. Hi, Eric. How's it going, man? It's very good. I'm I'm just uh, itching to see uh, whether the threat to our democracy is real or rejected by the voters. (laughs) You know, there are so many times where I have felt like, oh, the, the most important election of our lifetime is such an overblown phrase. But I actually feel like maybe there's a there's a referendum of sorts here, and it's not Republican versus Democrat so much as the state versus the people. And I think we actually have a chance to at least put our foot down and say, I will vote for the people as opposed to the state. Well, here's to hoping, or to the left, which has somehow framed uh, the idea that if you disagree at all or question in any way, uh, the left, that you are, as they literally put it, a threat to our democracy, by which they mean their unquestioned rule in perpetuity. And it raises some very interesting possibilities. And I know you and I are going to do a little prognostication here about, okay, so what happens, Let's and let's start with, suppose the red wave comes through and Democrats lose their control of the House and Senate in, in the federal government, and, and perhaps we see some, you know, uh, gubernatorial changes across the nation, uh, what happens here in the next couple of months? I mean, that's that's two months is a lot of time for a lame duck mm-hmm. politician to do some pretty serious damage. Well, yeah. I mean, what worries me is that they will literally say that, you know, it's a threat to our democracy that they didn't win the elections, if that turns out to be the case. And I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility that they will declare it an insurrection if they don't win the election. And uh, then they'll do whatever they they feel they need to do in order to hold on to power. We're entering, I think, a very dangerous period of time because uh, they will have power regardless of the outcome of the election for the next two months. And I think if we know anything about these people, they're not people who just sit on their hands and do nothing when they have the power to do something else. Nor, despite all of their, uh, you know, shaming people for refusing to accept election results, you know, in 2020, uh, do they have a habit of, you know, peacefully accepting, okay, well, it didn't go our way this time, we'll try harder next time. Uh, The left actually does get out there and get violent. Violent and insolent. You know, the same people uh, who are uh, castigating those of us who raised any questions whatsoever about the 2020 election uh, were the very ones who were insisting back in 2016 that the election was stolen. Trump is illegitimate. The Russians installed him. Remember that? Now, oh, and I'm yeah. not a you know I'm not a partisan for the orange man. I'm just pointing out the hypocrisy of these people. The very same people who did not lock themselves down when they locked us down, and who went out and hung out with their friends without wearing a mask. The same mask they insisted all of us had to wear. Yeah, it's uh, it's a double standard that uh, conveniently you know our media ignores and politicians gaslight is why that never happened i i wouldn't hang out with election deniers no senator we're saying you are the election denier yeah the media is complicit but sane i think in in that they are just simply doing what their paymasters tell them to do they become cynical pr hacks uh for the system for the institutions on the other hand i do think that we've reached the point of, of pathology of insanity with regard to some of these leftists who are 
just incapable of uh, appreciating that they stood for one thing at one point, and now they're standing for another thing, and that there's this great contradiction between the two. I mean, what kind of a mentality do you have to have to be, for example, Hillary Clinton, who said that the 2016 election was illegitimate, Trump was uh, installed by the Russians, and then to have the effrontery to tell us that if we question the installation of Joe Biden, that somehow we're in the morally wrong. It's, it's, it's an indicator of some kind of mental illness. No, I'm, I'm with you there. And the word denier has really taken on a, a really uh, negative connotation here. I mean, boy, if you're a denier, you know, I'm thinking in an earlier time, you'd have been tied to a stake and burned. Well, a denier, you know, they use that word deliberately because of the association with the Holocaust, as in you're a Holocaust denier. Really powerful stuff. They're trying to psychologically equate the two things so that somehow if you just simply want to know, hey, you know, I'm curious about what happened in 2020. I'd really like to see some sort of accounting. Why don't we go and check whether the votes that were counted were actually legitimate votes? If you raise a legitimate question like that, you're tarred by association with people who favored shoving people into ovens and then denied that that happened. Right. Now, you you did an article here recently. In fact, I think it just came out today, the the next two months. And, and yeah. Eric, walk us through kind of the historical parallels between 1860 and, and today mm-hmm. and, and the reaction to, to the election. Sure. Well, you know, in 1860, Abraham Lincoln was elected president, and it was a uh, an inflection uh, moment, as, as people sometimes say, because the South, the southern states realized at that point that they could no longer redress their grievances within the system because of the simple fact of the North's superior population and the money that the North had uh, to, in perpetuity, cement its power, at least at the federal level and essentially also at the congressional level. So they did what the American colonies, which, by the way, were states and conceived of themselves as such, hence United States plural, not singular, um, did with regard to separating themselves uh, from the union with Great Britain. They simply sought to withdraw from a political system that they rightly saw as not representing them and also impossible, uh, 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 incapable of representing their interests any longer. So what choice did they have? The choice was to submit or, or withdraw, and they attempted to withdraw just as the American colonies did uh, fourscore and seven years prior to that. Interesting. I've, I've heard people say, well, now they were the United States and they were a conglomerate at that time. But mm-hmm. um, someone pointed out to me once, if you uh, take a close look at the uh, 1783 Treaty of Paris, which ended the Revolutionary mm-hmm. War, King George addressed that treaty not to the United States, but to all 13 of the individual colonies, which, as you said, were yep. individual sovereign states. Mm-hmm. And in the Constitution, uh, the, the term is always in the plural, not the singular. So it was acknowledged. And more fundamentally and much more profoundly, uh, there is this idea that, uh, that the, the colonies would have ratified the Constitution as a forever instrument that they could never withdraw from under any circumstances as fatuous. It would never have been ratified uh, if that had been put on the table. It was presumed, it was assumed that if the country ever got to the point where uh, people could not reconcile themselves with one another peacefully any longer, and it's simply not possible to have a, a, a working system that people could withdraw. That's all that that means. Just as if you have a marriage with insoluble problems and differences that you can't figure out, you don't stay married. You separate for the good of both, for the good of everybody. 
Uh, and that's really fundamentally what, what happened in 1860. And I think it may be about to happen again, because I do think there is a dawning awareness, and I don't like it any more than anybody else does. I wish it were otherwise. But that we can't live, when I say we, freedom-minded people who just want to be left alone right. and want to leave other people alone, we can't live with people who absolutely will never leave us alone. No, I'm with you there. And I, I, I'm I, trying to take the broader perspective because I've been pretty skeptical of, you know, voting as the high sacrament of our civic religion. Mm-hmm. But in this case, I think that uh, the vote is less, it, it's less important who is elected as much as if the people can show, look, here's the trend. People are voting against, you know, ratifying or otherwise upholding the system that had us under its heel for the last couple of years. I think there's a very real possibility that we can repudiate this notion that uh, those who've been governing us the last couple of years have been doing so with the consent of the governed. Correct. I think the most salutary result of today would be if there is indeed the proverbial uh, red tsunami, if there is a mass rejection uh, of the left. And I, you know, I use that, that term very deliberately, uh, contrasting it with the Democrats, because unfortunately the Democrats, uh, to a great extent, have been co-opted by these rancid, rabid leftists for whom the only thing that matters is power, period, and uh, its use against anybody who opposes or questions even the left. Uh, I read something the other day that they are beginning to send out little feelers about criminalizing what they call misinformation, which means uh, anything that, that they don't like, anything that runs contrary to what they tell us to do. They, 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 they want to potentially throw us in jail, not merely cancel us off of Twitter and deplatform us from YouTube. Here, here. Well, I, again, I'm, I, I, I'm not the one who's always, you know, let's all go out and vote and put on our stickers and wear them proud. Mm-hmm. But I, I really am hoping that enough people stand up today and reassert that we do not endorse what has been done by those who are currently in power. And, and hopefully, you know, this is, this is where the, the tides of change start to come in. I hope so, too. You know, there are a lot of people out there who have been identified with politically with the Democrat Party who favor, you know, unions and social programs and all of those things. And I don't, I don't agree with those things, but they're, they're not insane. They're not people who think that it's, it's a good thing for a, a nine-year-old that, that believes that he's a girl or a boy to have sex change surgery or to, to bring out trannies in front of elementary school people, uh, kids and have them, you know, do a dance or, or things of that, that nature that are just completely over-the-top, insane, and, and deranged. And I think that that's going to get rejected today. At least I hope so. Fingers crossed. I'm hoping the same thing. We'll take a quick break. We're talking with Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com. We'll be back just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com is my guest. All right, we got the Election Day stuff a little bit out of our systems here, Eric. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about an, an article you did about uh, the EV mandate from within. Tell me mm-hmm. about that. Well, it's sort of the other end of the censor. You know, we all know about the, the mandates coming from the government that are trying to uh, force everybody into an electric car. We've talked about that many times. Uh, here's the other end of the pincer. Some of the big car companies are attempting to force their dealerships uh, to do the same thing by, and they put it in this awful, awful way, and invest, invest in EV upgrades to their dealerships. Uh, things like uh, installing 
what they call fast chargers and, and so on and so forth to the tune of at a minimum of half a million dollars to more than a million dollars. And if they don't do these things, then uh, the automakers will withhold vehicles from them uh, and other things so as to gimp their ability to do business. And, you know, the first question that popped into my mind is, if this is such a great investment, you know, from a business point of view, if you're a dealer, wouldn't you want to make that investment on your own? Would you need to have the uh, the corporation tell you, you better do this or else? Right. A gun in your ribs, so to speak. Come on, do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I like the and, example. You know, the craziness of it, the, the craziness of it is that one of the, one of the crazinesses of it is they think people are going to want to go to a dealership and sit there to fast charge their car. Most people I know uh, do everything they can to avoid having to go to a dealer, no matter how nice the waiting room is and, and no matter how fancy the Keurig coffee machine is. You don't want to spend time at the dealer. But their idea is, well, we've got a fast charger here, so now you know you can just stop by and hang out for 45 minutes and wait until your electric car charges up. Uh, you know, someone pointed out, I don't know who it was, I saw this on Twitter earlier this morning, but it, it made a lot of sense to me. They said, the reason that we are being forced into electric vehicles and being forced into a uh, central bank digital currency is because those are things that can be absolutely centrally controlled and turned off at whim. Yeah, I've been saying this for years. It's self-evident. That's exactly what this is all about. And ironically, with regard to electric cars, you know, it was done initially uh, under the aegis of alternative fuel vehicles. Well, it, it, it's to eliminate alternatives. Uh, you know, electricity is something that's very top-down, very centralized, and a lot of people who don't understand how electric cars work and what the power demands are are under this illusion that, oh, I have to put a solar panel up on my roof and I'll be able to charge my electric car for free. No, you won't. The amount of voltage that's needed to charge an electric car is is staggering, and you can't do that at home without spending something like $30,000. So it's a non-starter. It's just not going to happen. So what it means is, You'll be tethered, literally, to your house, and your house is tethered, literally, to the grid. And the grid is controlled by these uh, these quasi-corporate government entities called utilities. So if they decide to uh, winnow the amount of electricity that you're allowed to have, they can do that. Very hard to take away the five-gallon gas of uh, gallon of jug, uh, uh, five-gallon uh, jug of gas that you have out in the shed that you can put in your car whenever you need to. Yeah, and this this kind of harkens back too to the idea uh, we were talking about, you know, in the last segment, where you know we've got two months where if the red wave comes and and power is going to change hands in January, um, you know, at that point, what will the Democrats feel like they have to lose? I actually had a friend suggest: sure. is it likely we're going to see ten dollar a gallon diesel by Christmas time? And it, I would have dismissed well, yeah. that, but I but I don't do yeah. so anymore because I think if the Democrats feel like they have nothing to lose, why not? Well, we may see it already, regardless of the outcome of today or, you know, the next several days, however long it takes to count the votes, uh, because the uh, the die has been cast with regard to diesel. You know, there is a shortage in the system right now, and my understanding is that it's not been uh, made up for. I don't know how you just come up with conjuring to existence almost 30 million barrels of fuel, and that's what will be needed to cover the shortfall. So I think that's going to happen regardless. And I think the, the left is going to try to pin the tail on the Republican donkey when it does. Well, thankfully, we have a strategic petroleum reserve. That we, what? It's been, oh, it's been drained <laughs> yeah, right. down? Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, it's the perfect storm, or at least we're being set up for the perfect storm. Sure. And, you know, the other thing that really worries me, getting back to what we were talking about in the first part of the segment, is uh, that they're going to do something completely batty, like arrest uh, Trump. 
um, especially after he declares, which it looks like he's going to do it either later today or sometime this week, that he'll be a candidate for 2024. And you can imagine what the consequences of that might be. Wow. Well, we've got, uh, got about five minutes here. Let's talk about anything else that's on your radar. Um, I know you had uh, had written about uh, Helps Protect, and this is something that's really jumped out at me, oh. and that's the, the vaccine. I mean, they're still pushing the vaccines. Now make sure you get your vax. Make sure you get boosted. But I think we can safely say the vaccine is not keeping anybody from getting COVID. No, it's sort of like, you know, those ads that you see on late night TV, you could lose up to 50 pounds. <laughs> of course, you're not going to lose anything by taking that miracle pill, and you might end up uh, gaining something that you didn't want. And this oily, oily way that they're marketing and advertising these vaccines, and I always put that in air quotes because they're not, because if you take a vaccine, at least in terms of the way they've always been understood in the past, it meant you could not get and you could not transmit or were very unlikely to get or transmit whatever the thing you'd been vaccinated against was. And that's absolutely not the case now. So now they have to come up with a new rationale. It helps protect. What does that mean exactly? You yeah. know, and it means nothing. So, well, you know, they're continuing to peddle that to people, and it's beyond despicable, and it's just astounding to me that anybody would buy into it at this point. And, and they literally changed the definition of, of what yeah. vaccines are and what they do, which I, I, somebody said, oh, somebody uh, had posted this yesterday, and I thought this is a really good comeback if someone says, well, you know, vaccines are there to, you know, to uh, help uh, lessen the symptoms. And it's like, really? Tell me, yeah. what, what does the polio vaccine do? Yeah. Yeah, nobody talked that way uh, two years ago. Everybody understood because we've been dealing with this, you know, for the last hundred years. You take a vaccine because the whole point of the thing is to prevent you from getting whatever the thing is and so that you will not be able to give it to other people. That was the bottom line rationalization for forcing people to take the so-called vaccine to stop the spread. And now we know it does no such thing. And so now they're saying, well, it, 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 it helps, to, you know, it, it helps relieve the symptoms. I mean, at what point? Do people see and have enough? Now, the good news is I do think people have had enough. Uh, what they call uptake of the boosters is extremely low, and they're having to throw away a lot of the out-of-date booster shots now because I do think people are finally realizing uh, they've been sold a bill of goods. Absolutely. Well, I, I'm just uh, I'm feeling vindicated. I think you, you may be feeling vindicated, too, for you know being stubborn, not giving in, not, not uh, parroting the narrative. diligence. Yes. Exercising due diligence. And, oh, but now, per the Atlantic, we should just forgive and forget and play patty cake with the people who tried to turn us into uh, apartheid pariahs. No, it's it, it's a hard thing to forgive. In fact, I, I, I'm, a, I'm willing to extend forgiveness, but, uh, you know, that's contingent on somebody actually owning up to this is what I did. I face it. I acknowledge it. And I'm sorry. But uh, we're not getting that. We're still getting the runaround. Well, mistakes were made on all sides. No, no, really. They, they weren't. Exactly right. They, they were not mistakes, and uh, they were made. And I will never forgive these people, ever, until they apologize. And even if they do, I'll never forget. And as a society, we should never forget. Wow. Any interesting cars or, or other uh, vehicles that you have uh, test-driven lately that, that you'd like to tell us about? Well, let's see. Um, I have a, a, a RAV4. Now, a RAV4 is a crossover, and, you know, people hear me moan about crossovers all the time because it's like, you know, trying to tell you what the difference is between Crest and Colgate. <laughs> um, but there actually is some difference in that the uh, the little RAV4 does not have one of these micro-engined uh, turbocharged to make up for power plants, doesn't have a CVT, and 
they offer it with some off-road equipment uh, and a 3,500-pound tow capacity, which for a small crossover wow. is pretty good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there are differences. You just have to look beneath the skin because they do all look alike. Wow. Well, okay, I'm off to your website, ericpetersautos.com. I, I do like to check and see, if, if just in case you come across something that's, you know, un, undeniably sexy that uh, that I have to maybe go and, you know, do a test drive or something. But, Eric, thanks. Well, yeah, I'm hoping. Yeah. I'm hoping that I get the last of the uh, the Hellcat Challengers at some point this coming year. You know, that's going to be a bittersweet moment. Well, if you need a co-pilot on that test drive, you know how to reach me, right? You know it. Okay. Eric, thanks so much. We'll talk again next week. You bet. Thanks, Brian. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. A quick shout-out here to GarageDoorProServices.com. This is a local company to St. George, Utah, Cedar City, Utah, Mesquite, Nevada, Colorado City, Arizona. Installing, servicing, and repairing garage doors in residential as well as commercial settings. By the way, I don't know if you knew this, they have insulated garage doors. Now, this is really important, particularly for people in this this part of color country. In the summertime, that's where that insulated door is going to save you a lot of energy. Not uh, not a lot of heat getting into your house through your garage. In the wintertime, likewise, not a lot of heat escaping via the garage. If you want to find out more, go to their website, garagedoorproservices.com. So, yeah, it's election day today, and I just I feel like this this can't be emphasized too much. It's not the left versus the right, although many of the political parties will try to you know, per- persuade you that's the way this thing shakes out. What you're seeing today and what we hopefully will see people uh, begin to repudiate is the idea that the state should have primacy over your life. Because really when the contest comes down to it, it's, it's not Democrats versus Republicans. It's not leftists versus uh, the right wing or the far right, as they're so common, commonly called. It's uh, the state versus the people, the collective versus the individual. So, you know, that's I'm hoping that uh, this is the year, or at least this is the election, where people aren't driven so much by the partisan concerns as I'm tired of the state having its boot on my neck. I don't care if it's a right boot. I don't care if it's a left boot. I want that boot off the back of my neck. And hopefully today we see people start to turn that back. Now, it's clear, at least for people who are paying attention, it should be very clear that uh, many of the people in power are working overtime to destroy what remains of our freedoms. This is all about the people in power obtaining and centralizing more power and control over the populace. I got a great article here from Max Borders that tackles the tough question facing the American people, and that is, what is the revolutionary trigger for our time? Max Borders says the Declaration of Independence is a fading memory. For once it was revered as the secular foundation of a people, it's now mainly a curiosity, at best, that justifies an annual ride of fireworks and potato salad. For a few of us, the Declaration remains a beacon, though it flickers as a candle on a stormy night. The most stirring passage offers to us, or offers us rather, to claim our rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
but he says those rights seem sadly alienable today. Complimentary passages remind us of what we must do in the face of tyranny. Yet the tree of liberty stands before us molting and desiccated. Legal scholar Randy Barnett argues Americans should treat the Declaration as a charter document, as weighty as the Constitution. Here's how he puts it, quote, The Declaration was considered to be a legal document by which the revolutionaries justified their actions and explained why they were not truly traitors. It represented, as it were, a literal indictment of the Crown and Parliament, in the very same way that criminals are now publicly indicted for their alleged crimes by grand juries representing the people. End quote. Now, Max Border says, but of course, the ex- executive has other ideas. <clears throat> he says, if you wanted or if you think you need to have weapons to take on the government, said our aged president recently, you need F-15s and maybe some nuclear weapons. Now, in some ways, Biden's not wrong. He's just channeling Thrasymachus, who said justice is nothing other than the advantage of the stronger. On the other hand, though, if Professor Barnett is right, Max says we have a duty to confront a vital but uncomfortable question. At what point must Americans take it upon ourselves to revolt? In other words, what is the revolutionary trigger? Now, before howls of insurrectionist issue from partisan ventriloquist dummies, he says, I refer to a legal document that at the very least warrants seditious questions. Indeed, we're duty-bound to question authority, whether or not the declaration is a proto-charter. Under such conditions, another American revolution might seem paradoxical. But he says revolution is in our DNA. So let's explore it, moving through the relevant passages, discussing matters as we go. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Now, Max Borders repeats, the consent of the governed, only those inculcated by the state's official civics book authors could argue that voting, that democratic voting is consent, much less submission to that power is consent. In his book, When All Else Fails, The Ethics of Resistance to State Injustice, philosophy professor Jason Brennan argues there is no theory of state authority or special immunity without gaping holes that must be filled with F-15s, nukes, and a supportive bandwagon of hooligans. He writes, if governments do indeed have authority, it seems like there should be some morally relevant property or set of properties that explains why governments have authority. If there is such a property, then it seems plausible that people should be able to identify it. Now, Brennan adds that scholars have spent a lot of time and energy trying unsuccessfully to identify that property, and he comes with the receipts. But what about the voters? Brennan adds, we have good grounds to think that people who would that people would believe in government authority, even if governments have no such authority. Empirical work generally finds we have a psychological bias to ascribe authority to others, even in cases where there clearly isn't any. Governments do everything in their power to reinforce that bias. So Max Porter says not only might it be that an inborn submission instinct governs the masses, But it could also be that authorities feed them a steady diet of civic mythology around voting and elections. Now, he says, alas, voting is a lotto ticket for partisans. That is, the odds your your vote will amount to anything are low. If I vote, it's not consent. If I don't vote, it's still not consent. And without consent, there are no just powers. Now, back to the declaration that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends that is protecting your God-given rights, 
It is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government. Laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. So, in the absence of just powers, we have the right to alter or abolish our government. Now, one might argue that absent any real consent mechanism, our system allows representatives to alter or amend the Constitution, which would alter the government at least. But he says such a repre- but such representation would be neither legitimate nor effective if one thinks that the Declaration is the law. Max Borders then quotes again from the, from the Declaration of Independence. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. So Max Border says one can no longer deny our system of government has become destructive of those proverbial ends. So doesn't it need to be abolished? Maybe we become accustomed to, inured to, this corrupted form. He says, acknowledging the dictates of prudence, I'm no more calling for the destruction of Chesterton's fence than I am fomenting Jacobin behavior. It's just that the Constitution has become a dead letter. By the way, he's right. It doesn't pose any kind of a threat to our government as it currently is constituted. Max Border says, our government officials are corrupt, federalism has been weakened, and our system is a negative-sum game run by profiteers and sociopaths. So... When a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Well, there you have it, in plain text. One might argue that today's long train of abuses and usurpations doesn't hold up compared to the colonists' grievances. But he says, let's see. In the second Declaration of Independence, he goes, I list a a series of grievances that I think are no less justifiable than those enumerated by the early patriots. After all, our authorities, number one, take from us without our consent and prevent us from governing ourselves, deny us guarantees in the Bill of Rights, especially Amendments 1, 2, 4, 5, 6, 8, 9, and 10. They threaten, regulate, and oppress us too often without legislation or due process. Number four, they lie to us and keep secrets from us while evading accountability. Number five, they divide and disenfranchise us through the spectacles of partisan polarization and national elections. Number six, they seek to control us, that is to engineer society as if it were a machine and we were its cogs. Number seven, they force us to subsidize failed agencies, systems, and institutions. Number eight, they grant favors or subsidies to reward the powerful at the poor's expense. Number nine, they threaten, attack, and imprison those who share the truth about them, criminalizing both demands for accountability and peaceful dissent. And he goes on down the list. I mean, there's 30 different pieces that he identifies with that uh, I I have to admit, these translate pretty well into a modern-day Declaration of Independence. So he says, if even a few of these rise to the level of abuse that the colonists suffered under King George III, then we have to ask, what, if not these, counts as a revolutionary trigger? Oh, I know. We're going to have to pick up this conversation on the other side of the break, but uh, you'll want to hear what he recommends as the trigger and the new guards. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Again, I want to give a quick shout out here to MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, and also HSLAmmo.com. I'm sharing an article from Max Borders. This was published on the American Institute for Economic Research website about the revolutionary trigger. And he's, he's comparing, you know, the conditions that caused the colonists to rise up and throw off the government of King George in order to govern themselves because the king's government was no longer performing the legitimate role of government, operating with the consent of the governed, protecting their God-given rights. And he lists, uh, uh, Max lists at least 30 different things that show us where our government is following a very similar path, if not exceeding the kind of abuse that the colonists experienced under King George. So he asks, if even a few of these grievances rise to the level of abuse the colonists suffered under King George III, we have to ask the question, what if not these counts as a revolutionary trigger? Now again, he's not calling for violence in the streets, but he's saying, we have a choice to make. Do we want to just continue on pretending that, oh, no, they're really looking out for us? Or do we want to take that responsibility away from them, take the power that we've delegated back and appoint new guards? So here's how Max Borders puts it. He says, as the U.S. government continues to Sinoform America across the Pacific, brave Chinese dissidents are showing the way despite their terrible odds. He says, the words of Thrasymachus haunt us. Remember, justice is merely the will of the stronger, as do the words of Joseph R. Biden. The police powers of the United States government are mighty, so maybe justice really is nothing more than the advantage of the stronger. Of course, it didn't take F-15s or nuclear weapons for the Taliban to get the world's greatest fighting force out of Afghanistan. He says, I don't know many ordinary Americans with the courage of Pashtun cave dwellers, but I hope they're out there. Like many who admire the Declaration of Independence, he says, I'm one who resists violence. After all, other human beings are sacred because I accept that they have a right to life, liberty, and the rest. But like Buddhist warrior monks, we are not pacifists. If we are forced to defend ourselves, we will. Thus, there must be some clear threshold of mass self-defense. When is it appropriate to counter abuses and usurpations with violence? Such is an important question, and he says, I suspect answers will cross the domains of morality and strategy. But, he says, maybe we don't need violence at all. In fact, he says, in these very pages, I wrote, we have to adopt that mien of silent, dogged resistance. Whenever possible, we have to drag our feet, refuse to comply, and make the cost of enforcement too high for authorities. Next, he says, we have to practice, and I'm going to struggle with this word, Satyagraha. This Sanskrit word means roughly truth force. And Mahatma Gandhi taught his followers to use Satyagraha against the British Raj. The freedom riders and the civil rights activists use similar tactics in the Jim Crow South. Satyagraha is a nonviolent means, even as it exerts enormous pressure against the powerful hierarchies. So today we have technological tools that Gandhi or Martin Luther King never had. So in practicing Satyagraha, we must do so through the best means available. 
Now, Max Borders says the seeds of change are being quietly sown by an army of software in- software developers rather, obsessed with the idea of self-government. Many early experiments will fail, but some will succeed, and massive constituencies will form around those successes. But until any revolutionary moment or evolutionary process arrives, we must figure out who our new guards will be and what will keep them from turning into golems. In the meantime, we must write a new American story, all while we draw the line in the sand. That new story should perhaps include a shadow constitution, one without all the loopholes that progressives and populists have used to leave the current document in tatters. He says maybe we can form a mutual society around that story, similar to the Freemasons. That way we can pass the torch of legitimacy and consent to a new generation. Indeed, maybe it's time a few of us came together to reimagine our great charter, as every great civilization needs its sacred texts. The Declaration of Independence remains such a text. It can fit nicely into a canon that includes an upgraded rulebook for the new guards. And so he says, if you are awake and alert in this liminal age, you realize those new guards might just be us. I'll tell you what, this is a good essay. This, this is one that I would encourage you not only to read, but maybe come back and reread from time to time. What is the revolutionary trigger for our time? More importantly, because I don't want people getting hung up on the, hey, when do we pick up our guns? When is the shooting going to start? How about focusing on what on building what comes next? And if you're a part of building what comes next, guess what? You are very likely to be one of those new guards to safeguard the life, liberty, and happiness of those who would live under such a system. With their consent, of course. Interesting stuff. All right, three quick articles I'm going to touch on here. I know that uh, when you hear someone call you a conspiracy theorist, they rarely do that as a compliment. At least I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody lay down that label where they were being very complimentary. Hey, you're you're quite the conspiracy theorist. That's awesome. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> you just don't hear that. Well, Daisy Luther has a surprisingly rational defense of that willingness to question the official narrative and to exercise our freedom to discuss things that frighten the powers that be. That's usually where you get the conspiracy theory accusations from people. People notice something they weren't supposed to, and therefore there's conspiracy theorists. And yet I have to say, looking back over the last couple of years, everything that I have seen that was labeled a conspiracy theory, well, most everything. Okay, there's some stuff that I'm just like, okay, maybe, maybe not. But so much of the stuff concerning lockdowns, masks, vaccines, all this, you know, all of that stuff, it turned out to be true, what the conspiracy theorists, so-called, were saying. So they got a pretty good batting average. Maybe it's time to... uh, Give an apology if you feel that that's necessary to those who were right. And consider shifting your thinking. Just a little something. All right. Another thing to consider for today, and I'll include an article here from J.B. Shirk. Now, whether you're superstitious or not, a blood moon on the same day as this year's midterm elections is a pretty curious coincidence. And I I actually dragged my butt out of bed at uh, 2 o'clock in the morning so I could uh, sneak outside and maybe catch a glimpse of the eclipse, which was in full swing at that time. Unfortunately, Mother Nature had other plans and decided, hey, this would be a great time to blanket uh, where Brian lives with some snow. So that's what she did. There was no moon to see. But I would encourage you to read J.B. Shirk's article, Some Hopeful Prognostication on the Projected Red Wave That May Accompany This Lunar Eclipse. 
I know there are people now, Neil deGrasse Tyson, well, the universe has been around for billions of years. It doesn't care. At the same time, for those of us who are believers, it's pretty clear. God does sometimes use signs in the heavens as a means of uh, demonstrating, you know, this is, this is time to pay attention. So I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just saying it's curious that uh, this pivotal election falls on the day where we have a blood moon. I don't know all the significance, but it's enough to make me go, huh, well, that's, that's very curious, isn't it? And finally, I want to recommend a movie for you. Now, I know some people don't like to watch R-rated movies, and if, if violence or uh, bad language are something that would keep you from watching a movie, this is probably one you won't want to watch. But V for Vendetta. I first watched this movie, I believe it was back in, I want to say 2005, maybe 2006. I was in a movie theater. And I think there were maybe five people in the entire theater when I went to see that movie. And yet when it was done, that's the first time I've ever clapped in the movie theater and went, that was, that was an amazing movie. Why was it so good? Well, because there are very few movies that have better captured the reality of how governments will exploit crises in order to expand their control. V for Vendetta, coincidentally, uh, tells the tale of a, a dystopian government and a dystopian society that became that way because the government created a virus, released it, and then in the ensuing pandemic, locked down hard and never lifted the lockdowns. Well, I know, it's, 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 trust me, there have been a lot of people making those uh, connections over the last couple of years. And, and this is, you know, I, I grant it, it's, it's a graphic, graphic novel from, shoot, I forget Alan's last name now. Anyway, it's a graphic novel, a comic, but it translated fairly well into a movie, very well acted, and there are some interesting truths that happen to pop out at you. If you watch this movie, I can promise you'll be going, whoa, (laughs) that seems so much like today. And since we just had uh, November 5th was just over the weekend, you know, I'm still a fan of Remember, Remember, the 5th of November and the Guy Fox mask. I hope you'll read Daniel Buck's article about how centralization of government power threatens our liberty. And it just so happens that a movie made, you know, a few years back does a very good job of illustrating that in ways that uh, you might not have expected. Hey, thanks for being a free thinker. Thank you for being a wrong thinker wherever necessary. And for those of you finding your voice and standing up and speaking out, thank you for having the courage to do so. This is The Brian Hyde Show.